Welcome to the Kona Edge, where you'll discover what the best triathletes in the world do to give them the edge. Welcome on to this edition of the Kona Edge. I'm Brad Brown, and it's a pretty special uh, edition of the Kona Edge today as well. I can't believe it. Episode 300. Yep, that's right. Three zero zero. Who would have thunk? Uh, and yeah, we've been putting these things out pretty much uh, every day. And uh, yeah, three hundred. I love it. And uh, didn't plan it this way, but uh, today's interview is an absolute cracker. It is. I can safely say, and I've chatted to some incredible athletes uh, over the time that we've been doing this podcast. And uh, I say it quite often that yeah, that was my favorite one, or this one was my favorite one, but. There's no doubt that today's interview uh, is so far out of the 300 episodes of the Kona Eds I published, my favorite. And uh, you're going to see why when we get into uh, the story today. It is just so inspirational. If uh, you don't believe that you can qualify and race on the Big Island in uh, in Kona after today's episode of the Cone Edge, uh, I can't help you. I'm afraid there's nothing I can do to make you believe, but you, you're going you're gonna to know exactly what I'm talking about once you've uh, listened to this story. Fantastic, fantastic story. Before we get into it, let me just tell you once again, if you haven't uh, joined our private Facebook community, all you have to do is head over to facebook.com, uh, not facebook.com, theconeedge.com rather, forward slash Facebook. Let me get that right. It's theconeedge.com forward slash Facebook. Get on there, uh, come say hi, and uh, yeah, hang out with some of the coolest triathletes on the planet. It's uh, theconeedge.com forward slash Facebook. But without further ado, uh, we head to Dublin in Ireland today to catch up with Rob Cummings. Welcome on to the Cone Edge. We head to Dublin in Ireland. And uh, it's a great pleasure to uh, touch base with Rob Cummings. Rob, welcome on to the Cone Edge. Thanks for joining us. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. Rob, your your life is all triathlon. Uh, you work in the in the industry. You obviously partake in the sport. It's a, it's a big part of your life, isn't it? It is. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, I run a bike and triathlon store in in Dublin um, with my wife, and the two of us run a, a small coaching business as well. And Ashling's a an ultra runner by trade. Uh, she keeps me company on the triathlons, and I've been doing Ironman for. Uh, about nine years now. Has, has have you always been pretty sporty? As as uh, I mean, before triathlon, was there anything else, or was this your 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 first sort of foray into it? No, I was. Uh, I never did any sports as a kid, um, and smoked very heavily, and and uh, went off for a few years. Went off the rails a little bit for a few years, drinking and partying and getting into trouble. And I uh, I opened my first bike shop in nineteen ninety eight. And had been trying for a long time to to get off the cigarettes. I smoked very heavily at the time. I was smoking probably three packs a day and was really unhealthy and was always sick. And uh, about six months after I opened the store, I managed to to get off cigarettes. And as as an incentive to stay off, I suppose, or as a reward to myself for staying off, I bought a mountain bike and went out with uh, a young lad that was working for me at the time. And he brought me out mountain biking. And for the first... Uh, we, we were going up a climb and I had to stop every, you know, every minute, every two minutes I was getting off the bike and I was coughing up all sorts of muck from, from years of smoking and about three quarters way up, I just got sick of it. And I said, this is, this is the stupidest thing I've ever done. I'm, I'm going home. And he said, come on, we'll go a little bit further and we'll go back down the single track. And 
we went up and we came back down the single track and as soon as we turned down onto the, the trails I really enjoyed it I, I got a huge buzz and we got to the bottom and I got him to bring me back up again and I think at that stage I sort of I started to get a little bit bitten by the bug that was back in 99 but I, I was dreadfully unfit and it took me years of of going out and, and doing events and doing races and coming in last and all that sort of stuff before I I discovered triathlon then in 2003. Um, a South African guy actually uh, was living here at the time and um, he I, I cycled with him for a couple of years and he was into triathlon and he, he brought me out and uh, convinced me to do the, the Dublin City Triathlon in 2003. But I wouldn't have... Uh, I wouldn't have had a, a very auspicious start, I suppose. I was second last out of the water after doing the, the entire swim breaststroke. I, I couldn't really swim at the time. Um, I was biking reasonably well. I'd done a, a little bit of bike racing, and uh, I probably got off the bike inside the top 10 after getting out of the water in about 150th, I think, and then proceeded to be passed by everybody else on the run. So I, I might have finished 80th or 90th, but I loved it the fact that even finishing just under three hours that there was still crowds of people there to welcome you in and there was a great sense of camaraderie and I was absolutely hooked from from that moment on but I, I never had any ideas that I'd, I'd do anything other than do them just for fun really you know I was I was semi-competitive in my head but I had no illusions as to the fact that I'd ever be winning races or, or anything like that. Rob, I, I love that. That is got to be one of the coolest stories that I've, I've heard with regards to this podcast. And, and the reason I say that is because my background's very similar to that, that I also was a heavy smoker. Uh, I used to work in, in nightclubs. I was a DJ for many, many years and, uh, and, and just lived, lived it up. And, and I love the fact that you like me, if that, if that makes sense. N not that I'm a great athlete, but you, you've got a background. And I think that's the cool thing about the show is we get to chat to so many different people. And it doesn't matter what your background is. Uh, we all get into the sport on different paths. And it's what we make of the opportunity that's in front of us right now that, that uh, dictates where we go in the future. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. It's fantastic. Rob, when did you realize you had a little bit of ability? I mean, that, that, that first triathlon on the bike, you sound like an absolute monster on the bike, but when did you realize you were actually pretty good at this thing? Um, I, I'd done probably another... It was 2008 before I did a, an Ironman. Um, I'd seen Ironman Hawaii on, on TV back when I was a smoker, way before I ever got involved in the sport, and I just thought it was the most incredible thing. And I suppose it was always in the back of my head that when I saw it and I was sitting there as a smoker, I, I sort of thought, I'll, I'll do that someday. Not having any idea really what that meant, you know, not just to complete an Ironman, but to do Hawaii, you know. And in 2008, I eventually plucked up the courage to do uh, Ironman France. So I, I trained quite hard. Well, for, for the level that I was at then, I trained quite hard and I went out. And to be honest, I was I was more afraid of of not finishing than anything else. I, I didn't know if I could do the distance and that was the, the biggest fear for me in France. So I got through it okay and had a had an incredible experience and finished from memory somewhere around 1200th place out of maybe 1500 athletes. So I was very much back at the field. Um, and I, 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 I think what changed for me that year was I, I discovered a, a, an absolute love of, being an athlete, albeit a very slow one. I, I love the lifestyle. I love the the training and the discipline and and all of that 
that that went with going from being somebody who trained, you know, two or three times a week, you know, one swim, one bike, one run, to somebody who had this regular six or seven training sessions a week and started to live the life of an athlete at a very small level. I really loved that and I enjoyed it. And uh, I think that was where my my real love affair with Ironman came, started. Um, I I had a tough year personally that year. I I separated from my wife. Um, I think a lot of people call it an Ironman divorce. Um, So the the Ironman thing probably contributed, but I think it had been on on the cards for a long time. And uh, not long after I, I... met and got together with uh the lady that i'm married to now ashling and uh, we've been together since then but she's an athlete and i think living with an athlete and and falling in love with that lifestyle it made becoming an athlete much easier so in 20 2009 the following year i I decided i'd have a go at ironman switzerland and I, i guess i always had this idea in the back of my head that because I wasn't a million miles off each individual sport, you know, if I went out and swam as hard as I could for 3.8K, I was maybe 10 or 15 minutes off what I needed to be doing for a Kona slot. And if I went out and biked hard for 180K, I was, you know, I was close to the the, the other guys on, on the bike. And the run, I wasn't great, but I was still only 20 or 30 minutes off. Now, that being said, that's if I went out and did each of those individually absolutely flat out. And, you know, I, I was sort of kidding myself and saying, you know, if you just added those together, you probably wouldn't slow down too much. So I went and I trained really hard for Switzerland. And uh, I didn't say anything any, to anybody that I'd, I'd sort of got this idea that I'd like to do a fast one and see how close I could get to Kona. But I, I went and I trained really hard and I did the race and I moved up a, a grand total of about 200 places. I just barely broke the top 1,000. And I think... For a long time after that, I sort of decided that that was the level of athlete that I was, that I, I was never going to improve much, much more above that. Um, we we opened a, a big new business in 2010. And in 2011, our life had sort of settled down a little bit after the craziness of the, of the first year of the business. And I, I said it to Ashling. And she'd coached people for a few years and she'd been involved at sport at an elite level. Um, she was a, she was, she's a number of Irish vests and she's a mountain runner and an ultra runner and she raced at a very high level, but she, you know, there's no messing with her. There's no, there's no BS. So I, I asked her, what did she think about the idea of, could I possibly try and chase a Kona slot? And did she think it was a realistic thing? And her immediate reaction was yes. And I was, I was a bit surprised to be honest, but I, I, you know, immediately grasped onto that and I thought, okay, well, if Ash believes it's possible, then, you know, I'll, I'll take that and we'll, we'll have a go at it. So we didn't really know what to do next. So she suggested that we contact a coach that we both knew an ex pro athlete who was coaching people. And we, we reckon he was a pretty good coach and we contacted him a week or two weeks later and, and asked him, what did he think about, chasing a Kona slot and he he sort of looked at me and said yeah no I don't think so that's that's not going to happen you know maybe if you spent the next two years of your life training like crazy um you could but realistically no you're not a Kona athlete and in fairness he was only looking at what he'd seen me do before you know so um 
I was I was a little bit disappointed and quite gutted when when we were chatting to him and I, I I sort of came back to him a couple of minutes later and I said, well, do you know how to coach somebody to get them to Kona? And he said, yeah, of course I do. And I says, okay, well, give me that program then. Just coach me like doesn't matter what you believe or don't believe. Give me the program. If you break me or injure me or or if I don't do it, it's not your fault. I'll take responsibility for whatever happens or doesn't happen. And I think he was pretty skeptical, but he agreed. And uh, that was 2011. That would have been about March, late March 2011. And up to then, I'd, I'd sort of been training probably six to eight, maybe nine hours a week. Ten hours would have been a big week, but on average six to eight hours a week. And in the first eight days with the new coach, I think I hit about 30 hours. And on the last day of the first week, I did a race, a sprint race with about 28 or 29 hours training in my legs already that week, which was it was a whole month's training for me up to that point. I'd never done anything like that before. I, I was just gobsmacked that I could even manage 30 hours training. And I did a race, a sprint race, and I came toward. And I'd never been toward in any race in my life. And this is at the back end of a massive week of training. And I won my age group. So it was a real light bulb moment going off for me. You know, I realized that, you know, getting fast has, as much as I hate to say it, being the person who sells you the nice bike, it has very little to, to do with the equipment. It has very little to do with all the fluff and rubbish you read in the magazines. You just do an awful lot of training and 90% of the improvement comes from that. So over the next couple of months, uh, we picked Ironman Florida as being the target. And Peter, the coach, said, listen, Florida's not going to suit you. It's flat. Uh, it's a big power riders course. I'm, I'm relatively small and light. I'm about 67, 68 kilos and he said, you need a, a course that's hilly and hard. He says, you do well on the hills. So we picked Ironman UK. The only problem with that was it was on five, we had less than five months. So I was looking at going from sort of back of the pack to trying to qualify from Kona in less than five months. And the only way that, that Peter could do it was, I think, to literally just give me the, the biggest volume that I could handle. And he sort of kept me on this red line of, absolutely on the limit of, of what I could cope with. And, and very often I just went over it. Like I'd have weeks of 25 and 27 and 28 hours training. And I had a, a couple of training camps where we hit 40 plus hours in a week and I'd be floored for 10 days afterwards and hardly able to get out of bed. And I raced a few times in the lead up to UK and they went dreadfully. You know, I'd, I'd be out on the bike in training and I'd, I'd be I'd be doing 40K time trials in 57, 58 minutes, and then I'd go out and race, and I'd be doing them in an hour 15, and I couldn't figure out what was going on. But it was obviously just the huge levels of fatigue where, where just the body was just up and down. So I rocked up to Ironman UK after about five months, and uh, I finished, I think including the pros, I finished 36 and including out of the age groupers, I was 26 and I was, I think, seventh in my age group. And I missed a Kona slot by two minutes. So it, to be honest, missing the Kona slot wasn't the big disappointment that I thought it would be because all of a sudden I felt like a Kona athlete. I knew I could do it. The fact that it was two minutes was was negligible. I'd gone much faster than any of the Kona slots had, had been gotten in the year before it was just a fast year everybody went quick um i broke 10 hours on a very hard course 
and I, I had a, you know, it was a, it was a big pivot for me in terms of I, I now felt like a fast athlete. I felt like a Kona person. So we raced uh, Florida, and again I came quite close uh, a couple of months later. And in 2012, then with as as it's funny as the coach had said, you need two years. It was he wasn't far off with about 18 months training in me. I went out and I qualified the following year again in the UK. Um, the conditions and the the course tend to suit me, and I qualified there on a roll down the first time. And again in 13, I went back and I qualified a straight qualification the the third time. That's uh, I'm, I'm I'm sitting here grinning. I have to tell you, Rob, because that is that, that's amazing, and and uh, I think a lot of people. Look like you say the flashy fast bikes and the the gadgets and the tools, but it's ninety percent hard work. And I think the other ten percent is all in the head. It's you. You need to believe that you can do it. Yeah, and even with the belief was something in the first year that, to be honest, I I never believed it for a minute, Brad. I didn't I didn't feel it. You know, from the start, Ashling said to me, "Yeah, we're going to do this," and yeah, I think you can do it. But everybody else was looking at me, going, "You're off your head. You're crazy." You know. They mightn't have said it quite in those terms, but I could see it, you know. And actually, one of the things that I, I probably hadn't, I don't think I'd mentioned was it, as part of the trying to get to Kona, I came up with this idea that we'd try and tie it into marketing with the shop as well. So I knew a friend who was an editor for one of the big outdoor uh, sports magazines in Ireland, and I approached her with the idea that I'd write a a series in, in the magazine following the progress from back of the pack to see if I could do it. And she sort of, I thought she'd laugh at me when I said it, but she thought it was a great idea. I think she was sort of thinking, there's no way you're going to do it, but, it'll, you know, people will be interested. So I, I had this series of articles in, in, in a national magazine going, following me. So there was always this huge sense of pressure to try and do it. So it wasn't like I just told three people and we, we worked on it quietly among ourselves. We, we, I had a blog and, we had a big mailing list in the shop and, and it was going out to 15,000 people a week on that. And then it was going out in the national magazine every six weeks. So there was a quite a big following, you know, in a, in a very, very small sense, you know, in, in a very small sport, it was reasonably well known. So lots of people would be coming into the shop and asking how things were going, but I could see people were all very skeptical about it. Like I said, I'd never done anything that would make anybody else think that it was possible. And as a result, I think, I never really believed it. And to be honest, the, the moment that I sort of realized that it was actually happening was I got out of the swim and I, I raced that day without a watch because I didn't want to get out of the swim three or four minutes or five minutes or any amount of time slower than I'd hoped to do and have that affect my head for the day. So I did the swim, got out, got onto the bike and I wouldn't be a great swimmer, but I, I, I started biking through and as I got through the field, it started to thin out and I was passing less and less people. But I had no idea where 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 I was. You know yourself, you're in an Ironman. You could be you could be in a thousand place. You could be in, in 150. You have no idea. The people change slightly as you get further towards the front of the field. But you still have no idea. You could be 100. You could be 50. You could be 300. You know, they all look fast. They're all on tri bikes. They've all got aero helmets. And near the end of the bike. I came around the corner and there was a female athlete. I, I think it might have been Desiree Flicker at the time, or maybe that's not her name. Anyway, she was an American athlete and she'd been in the 
the media during the week as being the favourite for the women's race. And I came around the corner and passed her. And all of a sudden, I realised, you're right up at the pointy end of the field. You're actually doing what you've been dreaming about and talking about for the last five months. It's actually happening. And that was the first time that it became real for me and that I really believed it. And about six or seven K later, I rolled into transition and it was empty. And that had never happened to me before. Like normally I roll into transition and there's a thousand bikes in it. I, I got into transition and there was about 50 bikes in it and the place was empty. And it, it was just it all of a sudden it all became very, very real for me. And I, I realized you're actually doing what you set out to do. And I think it's important for people to know that you don't need to believe in something in the beginning to make it happen. You don't need to believe that it's possible for you to get to Kona or to do something that you think is impossible for you. You just need to start taking steps and get somebody who knows what they're doing to teach you. And for me, that's all it was. I had Ashling with the belief. I had a, a coach in Peter who knew how to get me there. And I was just willing to do the work. I had a huge drive. And, and then I put a gun to my head by sticking it in a national magazine so that if I failed, I was going to look like a real clown. Rob, I think that is unbelievable advice because... And, and and even if you don't want to qualify for Kona, you, you mentioned your first Ironman you, or, or with one of them, you, you thought, I would like to do that, but I, I don't know if I could finish those distances. And and that, I think, for everyone who's training for their first Ironman is probably the biggest concern is, will I be able to finish this thing? And and like you say, you, you don't believe it when you first start. You probably don't believe it until you've done it. But you just got to start. That's what it boils down to. And, and so few people in life, it doesn't matter what sphere you're in, don't start. They they think something will be cool, but they just don't do it. Yeah, absolutely. No, the, the starting is the most important thing. Um, just taking action. Like I'd had it in my head for a couple of months before I spoke to Ashling about it. So I started training a little bit and I was reading I was reading stuff online and you you know yourself, you go on to Google and you, you, you ask Google a question and four million answers come back. So I had people saying they'd qualified for Kona on six hours training a week and I had other people saying you needed to qualify thirty hours a week and I didn't really know what the hell I was doing, but I was I was I'd started. And even the fact that I was doing the wrong thing, I at least had two months of very basic training before I started with the coach so it wasn't coming from two months of inactivity like because we're both involved in the sport we're always doing something so there's always a level of in the off season we we run every day or or whatever so i would have been relatively fit but i wasn't in in ironman shape or anything like it you know it was a couple of years since i've done one we'd had a really crazy year with the shop but you just need to start you take a step and if you need to change direction it's, it's easy to change direction when you're moving but if you if you don't start, you don't know if you're doing the right thing or the wrong thing, and you're never going to get there. If you could go back and do this whole journey over again around the training, is there anything you would change? Is there anything you would do differently? Oh, um, no, I don't think so. Um, and that's not to say that I did everything right. I didn't. I made lots of mistakes, um, but. I think I've probably learned an awful lot from the mistakes that make me a much, I'd like to think it makes me a much better athlete now. And it helps a lot with the coaching because I'm better able to teach people. I can see, I can see things coming that are going to cause problems a little bit further down the road for me and for other people, because I suppose I've made so many mistakes over the years. Um, 
I, I don't think I changed an awful lot of it. I, I really like the journey. Like I said, not getting that Kona slot the first time was was difficult because I didn't get it and I came so close, but it wasn't difficult because I came so close. It it meant that I, I the biggest part of the journey was done for me. I knew it was just a case of, okay, you rock up next year and you do the same again with a year's more fitness. You're going to do it. So at that stage, I believed in it completely, 100%. So getting getting to that stage was, was enough that day. Um, like there's, there's things, there's stupid things I've done in training. Um, I had a, a session with that coach not long after Ironman UK and I came out of Ironman UK with such a huge level of confidence and, and belief that I, I, I started to start to do things that I wasn't supposed to do in training. So we had a couple of weeks easy and about a month after UK, I started to get really, really good form. Like I'd never felt anything like it. And the coach had me down for five hour bike ride with some interval work in it. And, uh, I think a 10 K run off it. And he had me down for three by one hour at, at Ironman race pace. So I went out and very quickly, the average speed was quite high. And I sort of thought, maybe I'll just keep going a little bit more than the hour and see how long can I hang on to this. And at about an hour and a half, I was sitting at 36, 37 K an hour average. And I kept on going and I didn't recover in between the intervals and I just kept on going. And I got to five hours and I, I, I sort of thought, let's keep going. We'll aim for 190 or 200 K. And I went through 180 K in about 503 or 504, which I think is about 36 K an hour average, which for me would be crazy fast in training. You know, it's, it's a race day bike split for me. I'd be comfortable. I'd be, I'd be around, you know, low fives or thereabouts. And here I am doing this in training against the coach's orders just because I felt great. And I had this incredible bike ride. I think I did close to 200K at about 36K an hour. Got into the house and the, the, the run was to be an easy 10K run off it. And where we were living at the time, uh, as we came out of the house, it was downhill onto the, the, the run loop that I was going to do. And I went through the first kilometer in about four minutes. And again, I'm looking at the numbers thinking, Jesus, this is, this is incredible. So I, I, I thought, let's see how long you can hang on to four minute Ks for, which again, I, I'm not, I know you talk to people like uh, I was listening to Martin Muldoon's interview the other day and Martin's got this huge run pedigree, you know, four minute Ks for Martin are slow, but four minute Ks off a bike ride for me is, you know, it, it's nearly what I'd be doing a 10 K in standalone. I, I'm not a fast runner. I just don't tend to slow down a huge amount off the bike, but I went through the 10 K in about 40 minutes and I, I thought I was Superman. You know, I've done this 200 K bike in a 10 K run and in a time that I couldn't do in a race six weeks before. And I thought, I'm going to cram in another five or six days of training after this because I had a few days off work and I couldn't get out of bed the next morning. And I dragged myself up and I got on the bike and I lasted about an hour. And I went back home and I got into bed and I slept for most of the day. And it took me about five or six weeks, I'd say, to recover from that. Now, the thing about that was both the coach and Ashling had been saying to me in the previous week, that they were obviously looking at signs that I was starting to come to a peak, but that I was also getting very tired. I was I was on that red line of getting close to overtraining. And I wouldn't listen to them because I felt so good in training. I was setting PBs every time I got in the pool and I was going faster on the bike. And I, I thought I knew best. So I disregarded what the coach and what Ashling were saying. And I went out and I did the bike ride much harder, I did the run much harder. And that tipped me over the edge. And it, it took me 
it took me about six weeks to recover from that. And I was in training for another Ironman. We were going straight into to Ironman Florida. And it meant that I didn't get a Kona slot in Florida either. So it was a really good lesson to learn that when things look like they're at their best, very often that's when you need to be really careful in training, that that's the time that you're going to be most tempted to push and push and push to try and get that extra tiny little bit. Um, and, and conversely, in, in the run up to the UK, when I was doing races and expecting to be top 10 or 15 and I was coming in 90th, when things are at their worst, it's just because your training load maybe is very high or that you're tired and you can't always just look at something and go, OK, well, six weeks before Ironman UK, I can't even break the top 10 in a small local race on 90th. So the idea of trying to qualify for Kona is ridiculous. It wasn't. It was just part of the training. There was no taper. There was, you know, so things don't always it doesn't always equal what you see. So if you, if you feel great, the, the, the obvious answer might be, okay, we'll keep on training while you're feeling great. While it's really, sometimes you should just back off and, and bank that and allow the body absorb it and then go again. And for me, that was the biggest lesson that year was to not keep on pushing when things are, when things are, go, seem to be going well. Mm. Rob, looking at going into that first Kona, uh, I mean, your belief, as you mentioned, was, was sky high. I mean, coming from someone who was the real back of the packer to, to bagging a Kona slot, you, you must have felt going into that first one that you could walk on water. How, how do you approach a race like Kona, knowing that the, the, the level of competition is taking not just one more step up, but this is, this is huge, uh, and, and you going into this thing, how, how did you approach it? Oh, I, I, to be honest, when, when I, it was, when I qualified for Kona, there was, the realization actually hit me that I had to do another Ironman, um, because I think you're so focused on the act of qualifying, you don't realize that, actually, I've now got to go and do a race that's much harder and much more competitive, and that penny dropped for me the day I got the Kona slot. It's like, God, I've got to go and train for. A race now and and it's a much harder one and when i got to kona i i felt like a complete imposter i was i spent you know the week walking around waiting for somebody to tap me on the shoulder and, and say actually you're not really meant to be here this is for fast people i don't know how you you know got a slot and i i went into it really just wanting to have the experience of of being there you know we did the underpants run we 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 did everything i spent I, I broke all the rules that you'd have going into any race i spent the whole week on my feet you know we were in the expo every day we were every time there was a pro talk or something on we went to it and we met you know mark allen and dave scott and we were down at the the, the coffee boat swim every day and we, we went very much for the experience the first year and the race was going to be a bonus. Um, and I had no illusions as to where I stood in the pecking order on that day. I, I didn't really expect to be in any way competitive. Um, that being said, I was, I was in good shape going into it, it, probably in the best shape of my life. So there was a part of me thinking, you'll have a good race. You're not going to be competitive with the people you're racing with, but you, you can have a good day for yourself. But, Oh, it's, it's, it's such a hard race. I, I had a real, the race really took me down a peg or two. I think it, it sort of put manners on me. The swim was, was, was hard and slow. Uh, I went through the, the first 90 K of the bike too hard and really blew up the worst blow up I'd, I'd had in, in any race at that stage. Um, I think I was two and a half hours to the halfway point and 
3.15 for the second half. So I really blew up. And I, I had, you know, I had 20-year-old girls biking past me on the, on the bike where I'm, I'm normally catching the female pros and even catching some of the male pros on the bike. And it was a real eye-opener. I'd never seen so many strong people in my life. And I got onto the run and I was hanging from very early on. I got through about 10 miles okay. I got into town, got up up uh, Palani Hill and ran up Palani Hill and I'm, I'm looking at all these people who are walking or shuffling up Palani Hill and I thought, Ugh, I don't I don't walk up hills, I don't jog up hills, you know, and I ran up hard and I, I got onto the Queen K and within about 30 seconds I was walking. That they, my I could see afterwards looking back why everybody slows down so much on Palani because your temperature just rises and and that was it. It was game over for me. So I had the long journey out, Queen K and, and back in was was jog walk shuffle a little bit of puking and and uh and trying to just enjoy the experience as much as i could as i could while i was getting passed by everybody else but it the first experience was was very humbling i think it's it, it the field that you're racing against is just unbelievable you know even just being on the island you've got 10,000 of the fittest people you've ever seen it's it's like landing on a different planet it's it's unlike anything I'd ever experienced. And going back to the time, did did you manage to put some of those demons to bed uh, from their first experience? Uh, it got a little bit better. Um, I, I was in, I was in really good shape. Ashling was coaching me by the time I, I went back the second time. And again, at that stage, I probably had uh, close to four years training. So I'm a big believer in in the accumulative effect of just being consistent and and after three or four years of, of consistent strong training i was in i was in reasonably good shape going out and i took i took about 10 or 11 minutes off the swim i think i was about 107 or 108 for the swim versus nearly 119 the previous year uh i had a decent enough bike i was just over five hours in fairness it wasn't the hardest bike conditions that year it was really hot but the wind wasn't as crazy as the previous year um i got off the bike and had a a reasonable run and managed to get all the way to the coming out of the the energy lab i i passed kenny gla and i got a, a bit giddy i think at passing somebody like kenny gla who's been out there i think 29 or 30 times and uh probably went a little bit too hard on the climb up out of, of the energy lab but i was obviously on right on the red line already and, and blew up and, and had a another little puke at the top of the energy lab and and shuffled in it was it was certainly better than the previous year but Cone is the hardest race I've ever been at to to execute not just that it's hard conditions it's it's really really hard to to execute right the heat is is just it's so extreme the heat and the humidity and once you lose control of it if you allow yourself to overheat there really isn't any coming back from it you can't cool down you know you you've seen pictures of of the race leaders sticking their heads into the the big drums of ice water and you just can't recover you can't cool down once you overheat there so it's it's i think it's the guys who are good at controlling themselves and not getting excited and doing stupid things like racing somebody who doesn't know you exist um and and not pushing too hard at any stage you know but it, it, the second one was 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 better. But I think there's uh, there's still work to do. I I I could see myself improving if I can 
if I can figure out the conditions a bit better. <laughs> Obviously, training in Dublin is slightly different to, to the racing conditions in, in Kona. Uh, climate's vastly different. Oh, yeah. And certainly the time of year, it's, uh, it's completely different. So it's, uh, we, we'd, we have a, a sort of a gym set up in the house here with, uh, with the, the bikes and the, the treadmill. And we have a heater in there to try and replicate being warm. But I don't think we can get the temperature more than 26 or 27 degrees versus the, the 40 degrees you'd have in Kona. And obviously you don't have the humidity. So it's, it's, it's almost impossible to, to replicate it. But that being said, we, Ireland doesn't tend to send out an awful lot of athletes each year. We'll have anything from 5 or 6 to 12 or 15. But there's... There's seven or eight of the guys that go out there are are really competitive. You've got the likes of Ivan O'Gorman who runs, he runs a two fifty two or two fifty three marathon in Kona. Um, there's Martin Muldoon and Owen Martin. I, I don't know if you've certainly talked to Martin Muldoon. I don't yeah. know if you've met Owen Martin, but they'd be they'd be fast runners out there as well. So it can be done. Um, the 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 pale paddies can can figure out how to running the heat alan ryan a good friend of mine has been on the podium twice in kona and again he's living in ireland and uh he's he's figured out how to do it so i i i've no doubt we can do it it's just a matter of figuring out how to how to train properly for it have you, you you've obviously got unfinished business on that island you you going back aren't you yeah um in after 2013 i'd had a back injury early 2013 so when when i went out to kona i was carrying a bit of a back injury and that got really bad when I came back afterwards and I had, I had spinal surgery in January or February, 2014. Um, so I was about 18 months out of the sport and, uh, came back and did a couple of Ironmans. It really, as it turns out, just for, for fun, I wasn't in great shape in 20, uh, 2015. I did two of them quite close together. I did Ironman UK and Maastricht and, they went okay, but I was I was quite a bit off where I would have been a few years ago. So I decided in 2016 I was going to try and qualify again. And uh, again, I decided I'd, I'd do it as part of a, a sort of a marketing thing for the, the shop. So I, I kept a blog all year of my, my training and, and racing and uh, and figured that if I'd done it before in, in gotten very close in, in five or six months, if I gave myself eight or nine months last year, I'd, I'd, I'd get there. So we, we entered... Ironman Mallorca and I uh, I think I probably would have been able to qualify had everything gone well all year and then I had a good race day but I had a lot of a lot of difficulties during the year that I hadn't really anticipated um just normal life stuff that I think if I had 18 months training done you'd manage to juggle difficulties like work and and i got sick a couple of times but when i was trying to compress everything into a really short time frame it, it was too much to ask so i, I raced in Mallorca and didn't uh, didn't qualify um but i'm 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 sort of i was close enough that i could see it it'll happen this year so i think we're going to go to we're going to go back to florida this year um and uh and race there and chase a slot for next year awesome well, uh, Rob, if people want to get uh, in touch with you, I know you've got the coaching and you've got the shop as well. Uh, how can they How can they reach out to you? And, and I'll put the links to the blog as well on the, the show notes. But uh, tell us a little bit about the business itself. Uh, the, the business is, is Wheelworks Bike and Tri Shop in Dublin in Ireland. Um, 
we we tend to deal mostly for the the local Irish market. We don't really do uh, mail order or internet stuff. Um, and the coaching is is tricoach.ie, uh, and we we tend to keep that quite small. We we don't take on a whole lot of athletes. That's more a passion thing for us. It's really it's something we're 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 very passionate about. Myself and Ashling both really enjoy the coaching, and we get a huge kick out of out of seeing athletes do well. So we keep the number small, and we tend to have quite good personal relationships with everybody we coach. Brilliant. So I'll pop I'll pop, pop those links in if people want to check it out. They're more than welcome to. Thank you so much for your time today. I look forward to catching up uh, and chatting about the the, sh- the other disciplines. Uh, but we'll save that for another time. Thanks for your time today, Rob. Thanks, Brad. Thanks for having me. We hope you enjoyed this episode of the Kona Edge. Don't forget to connect with us on social media. Simply search for the Kona Edge.